with the 129 pick in the 2023 the NFL draft the Dallas Cowboy select Biliami Feoko de San Jose State live and underway here on ESPN Plus on what is Monday, May 1st. Alongside Hercules Gomez, I'm Sebi Salazar. And what did we have there? Was that El Matador giving the, the Cowboys fourth round pick at this weekend's NFL draft? Mexican legend Luis yes. Hernandez. That man scored multiple goals in the NBA World Cup. Mm -hmm. a, a hero to a nation. And he's out there. By the way, if you don't know, he's like a social media star now. TikTok. TikTok. Everything. Huge. Instagram, TikTok. Huge. Mm -hmm. Massive, but very charming individual. Uh, it, it, I can't help but smile every time I see him. Absolutely. Four goals in 98. Uh, right. Who could ever forget the historic performance in France? Lots to discuss on this episode, Herc, of Football Americas. We're going to be talking about a current-day Mexican international, Edson Alvarez, and his future after a big game, Ajax and PSV in the Dutch Cup over the weekend. We'll also wrap up the Liga Mekis regular season, Herc. We now know... Uh, who's in and who's out of the playoffs. We're going to focus on the bottom of the table. We'll get to the repechaje, the play, in a little bit later in the week. Speaking of teams that are struggling and near the bottom of the table, Sporting Kansas City, another mm. defeat for them, Herc. We'll talk about them in our MLS segment. We will also look ahead to leg two of both CONCACAF Champions League semifinals, Philly and LAFC on Tuesday, Tigres and Leon on Wednesday. But we'll start with the story that has been dominating at least this show for the last couple weeks, and that's the ongoing search for the new men's national team manager. Over the weekend, 90min.com reporting that Anthony Hudson will stay on through the CONCACAF Nations League, at which point he'll consider other options. He's been linked to the Oman job, among others. The report also adds that U.S. Soccer would like to keep Hudson around through the Gold Cup, but the bombshell in the article is that Jesse Marsh, as they put it, quote, remains the leading candidate, though no final decision has been made. Herc, if this report is true, what do you make of it? Whoa, bombshell indeed. I mean, it's also not a surprise. You, you knew that Jesse Marsh would be in or around the orbit of Matt Crocker mm -hmm. and the U.S. men's national team. Southampton, where Matt Crocker was, actually wanted Jesse Marsh to take over not too long ago, a few months ago. So it, it makes sense, if you will. Matt Crocker and Southampton also deployed the Red Bull way. This chaotic press, if you will, this, this mm -hmm. style of play that's very in-your-face that all the Red Bull teams pretty much deploy, that Jesse Marsh is a specialist in. So it makes some sense. Listen, when Jesse Marsh has been successful, uh, New York, New Jersey Red Bulls, uh, Salzburg, you know, in Austria, He's deployed the system. It's a very chaotic way of playing, but it's very effective if you could do it the right way. It can yield certain results. The problem is if they play through you. The problem is if you have a team that can bypass that press, you're done. It's man-on-man -man at the back. Uh, it, it's an open avenue with lots of space for players who have that speed in the final third to really hurt you. And you've seen how some of Jesse's teams have been taken advantage. Mm -hmm. Here's another problem. Um, imagine because we've seen it with Jesse Marsh. It didn't work so well at RB Leipzig when he got the mm. chance at RB Leipzig. And it didn't work so well at Leeds when he got the chance at the Premier League at Leeds. So imagine this. You have a specialist of a coach who deploys a certain system, mm. 
Mm -hmm. And now you're going to ask some of your best players who may not be catered to that system to adapt to said system. Players like Christian Pulisic, players like Giovanni Reina. Imagine a Ricardo Pepe or a Fallerin Balogun, if he does commit to the U.S. men's national team, having to play in that system. I don't know if the best players in your pool are suited for that system, if that makes sense. So my worry is, if it is Jesse Marsh, sure, Jesse Marsh has the resume if you want mm -hmm. to make him the U.S. Men's National Team coach. He has the ties. He knows the, the player pool. He knows the, the, the um, way of the American player, et cetera, et cetera, the sphere, the culture, everything we keep hearing, these trigger words. He knows all that. Mm -hmm. My worry here is there's no plan B. My worry here is Jesse Marsh doesn't know how to play a different way. So there is no World Cup qualifying. So you have somewhat some time to get your players catered. But at the highest of levels, is this a system for these players that can yield results on the world stage? That's where I have my doubts here. So if Jesse Marsh, the candidate, is what we're going to focus on here, I think we can point out red flags and green flags, right? You can yep. make a case for him and against him. I think what's interesting for me is if we were to take this reporting at face value, Herc, for me it would be very worrisome. And that comes down to the timing, right? Like. Matt Crocker just took this job. We know he's not going to take it full-time until the beginning of August. So the fact that there's not only a leading candidate, but somebody, Herc, who, as the reporting says, remains the leading candidate, for me, puts into doubt whether Matt Crocker is actually the guy calling the shots. And that's problematic for two reasons. One, I think he's capacitated to be the guy to make this decision, at least more than anybody at U.S. Soccer. And the other point is, we want transparency, right? Especially after what happened in 2018 and the hiring of Greg Berhalter. You want to know that U.S. Soccer has done not just a transparent search, but a thorough search, Herc. I think those two things, if this is true, that Jesse Marsh is already effectively like in the driver's seat for this job, that doesn't give me a lot of confidence that they've done it right or that they've indeed done it that differently than the last time around. Well, remember Matt Crocker during this interview campaign that he went on with various different outlets, mm -hmm. he mentioned that just because he doesn't start until August doesn't mean the search for the U.S. Men's National Coach wouldn't start immediately. So mm -hmm. the ball is rolling on that front. Remember, the sporting director and his job itself isn't just focused and catered through a U.S. Men's National lens. But there is a situation right now where there's a few tournaments in the summer that are creeping mm -hmm. right about, uh, excuse me, creeping up on you very quickly. So if you're Matt Crocker and U.S. Soccer, it behooves you to do your due diligence and try to get somebody in as soon as possible. Does we, it? Does we, it? Don't you? Don't you want to wait? Because when I see Jesse Marsh, if they're truly, if they've already seemingly, and I know the reporting here says no final decision has been made, but if if truly Jesse Marsh is this far along, Herc. I mean, that's got to be like a real concern for you. When, you. when you ask yourself what the criteria was for the job, it's basically, are you American and are you available? Don't you want them to wait? If, if, if you're going to give, as this report suggests, huts in the Nations League, shouldn't you wait till the summer to see who's truly available? Well, you also have to see if Jesse Marsh wants a job, right? Just because he's I mean, a he's candidate. turned down two Premier League jobs. You don't think he wants his well, job? Well, that's got nothing he's to do with the U.S. national team. Oh, hold on. He told you in the future he'd like the team. What I'm saying is, and we've spoken about this at length, uh, Jesse Marsh's next role could be mm -hmm. the potential third strike in the eyes of many. So taking a potential job, whether it be Leicester City or Southampton, mm -hmm. in the time frame it was in the last mm -hmm. two months, two sinking ships knowing that you're probably going to go down and there is no project to keep you at the helm, for helping them come back up in the championship to the Premier League, you don't want that third strike. So that's neither here nor there with Jesse Marsh. But what I'm trying to tell you is Jesse Marsh may be the candidate for U.S. soccer. It doesn't mm -hmm. mean Jesse Marsh wants the job. I'm not saying that's the case. There are certain things here you can't rule out. I'm not saying Jesse Marsh should or should not be yeah. a candidate. I'm just saying I don't see a problem with them 
fielding okay. uh, or feeling out Jesse Marsh. Sure. I, I kind of want them to pump the brakes, talk to everybody. You As you should. Have, As you yeah, should. But you, you seem to have a little bit more urgency, and I wonder if that has to do with what is coming up this summer, Nations League and Gold Cup. And the other part of this report, which is important, that Anthony Hudson is at least going to stick around for the Nations League. How big a problem is that for you? Because you have expressed concern over that yeah. on this show before. Well, my, my concern here is if Jesse Marsh is the guy, and I'll admit my opinion on whether I think he should be the guy or not, because mm -hmm. we're going to get into that, I'm pretty sure, down the road. Sure. Is give it to him already. What, what do you need Anthony Hudson there for? Why, why can't you just let him already mm -hmm. work with the team? One of the biggest downfalls for me, in my eyes, during the previous regime was the 13 last months with Greg Berhalter, where he was allowed to finish out the Columbus crew, but he was allowed to do things and leave a caretaker, Dave Sarakin, in charge of these kids, where it was the Lord of the Flies mentality. You lost 13 months. That's not just my opinion. You had, uh, you had Zach Steffen. We've had him on this platform. I interviewed him, you interviewed him, and he said there were 13 months that he felt were lost. Mm. So I'm sure there were other players that felt the same. I'm sure there were other pundits that felt the same as well. So don't lose any more time. If that's the guy, that's the guy. Now, well, you could have your opinions of Jesse Marsh. Mm -hmm. uh, you could have the pros, the cons, everything comes with it. But we're all under the same idea here that you want the U.S. Men's National Coach going forward to have as much time as possible to work with this pool. Yeah. The report here also states that, uh, as we mentioned, U.S. Soccer wants to keep Hudson around uh, potentially through the Gold Cup, potentially even beyond, Herc. So, so who knows if he'll take a job with another federation or, or stick around with U.S. soccer in some other role. Uh, let's continue here with U.S. men's national teamers abroad, shall we, Herc? Because it wasn't a great weekend for Americans abroad, but we did find at least a couple highlights. We'll start in the championship, which, of course, you can see on ESPN+. Josh Sargent with his 13th league goal of the season for Norwich. Yeah, he's scoring as a center forward. He's scoring on the wing, underneath. Uh, look at the reception. Look how quick the trigger is. Uh, he's coming into his own as the 13th goal of the season. This is a player that's really coming into his own and at the right time because when everybody's talking about Paulin Balogun, when they're talking about Ricardo Pepe, he's reminding you that he's still here. So Norwich in that game needed a win to keep their promotion playoff hopes alive against West Brom. They didn't get it. They fall by a final score of 2-1. to one. But there you see, still a pretty good season so far for Josh Sargent. Right now, he is the Canaries' top scorer. They'll wrap up the campaign next Monday against Blackpool. We've got more news from England, Herc. And unfortunately, it's bad news. Injury news. Tim Ream, who has started every Premier League game for Fulham so far this season, he did so again on Sunday against Manchester City, but there you see it, landed awkwardly on his arm early on afterwards, confirmed uh, by Fulham's manager that the arm is indeed fractured and that the 35-year-old defender will miss the rest of the Premier League campaign for Fulham. Herc, what does this mean for Ream's role with the U.S. men's national team this summer? We know the CONCACAF Nations League now just six weeks away. Listen, uh, Tim Ream's got a little bit of credit uh, under his belt. He's got a little mm -hmm. bit of credit to his name. That's just a reality. Right now, he's CB1 in the eyes of many. Um, it is a fracture. Uh, fractures usually take anywhere from six to eight weeks. You're 45 days out from the Nations League semifinal in Las Vegas. It doesn't leave you a whole lot of room. Here mm -hmm. are the positives with Tim Ream. I, get, I told you about the credit. Another positive mm -hmm. with Tim Ream is it's not a weight-bearing bone. If it was his fifth metatarsal, if it was somewhere around the knee, the tibula, something that's weight-bearing, I would say this is bad news. But it's the arm. It, it, it's a place where you're not going to be, one, in constant impact with. Mm -hmm. 
uh, you can rehab and potentially get there around that same date. I don't think this should be a player for his attributes. That's not like a very physical player in terms of uh, crashing, bashing, uh, coming into the nine. He's more of a technical center back. I don't think it would be too big of a deal. I'm not too worried about it. So the credit, the timeline, mm -hmm. the place of the injury, this is just an unfortunate ending to a very, very good career year. So you said six to eight weeks there. We got six weeks to the CONCACAF Nations League. If I do the math, even if he were to come back, it doesn't leave him much time to, to get in shape. Here's well, my worry. It's his arm. You can get in shape. Okay. Okay. You know better than I. I would assume it's, it's tougher to stay in shape when you got a fractured arm. But regardless, if, he does, if he's not ready, Herc, let's say he's not ready. I don't right. think that's too much of a stretch. No. I think, I think that might have an impact on his future because he's of the age where – at least the fan base and maybe even the new manager, when you think of Tim Ream, you kind of have to project out to the World Cup, don't you? And at some point, especially if somebody like in the Nations League, which is A versus A, comes in and plays that position well, then the coach has a headache, right? Even if Tim Ream continues on with Fulham, you kind of at some point need to refresh that position, don't you? Absolutely. And majority of fans won't be in this train of thought, but it's so funny to me because... Tim Ream, in the eyes of many, is like the ex exception to the rule. Mm -hmm. uh, before, it's like, hey, you have to plan for the World Cup. The World Cup's three years out. Uh, Tim Ream's kind of the exception for a majority of fans because of how well he did and because of his leadership qualities um, with this very young team. If you look at a player like Tim Ream, let's say the next coach comes in, and he says, I need a very athletic back. Mm a very athletic duo at the center back position. Tim Reeves not necessarily going to be that guy, even though that's what Greg Berhalter told us his position in the center back position required, because that's what he said about the omission to John Anthony Brooks, why he couldn't play, because he can't play in a high back line. He's not athletic enough. He used Tim Ream there, and Tim Ream won himself that spot, won himself the respect and credit of the general public. But I'm with you. If you're talking about down the road, the probabilities of a 38-year-old Tim Ream mm. being your center back one or CB2 in a World Cup are limited, but you still need somebody there to hand off the torch to the next. You still need somebody there to lead this younger generation and maybe center backs like a Cram and Carter Vickers, like an Austin Trusty, like a, um, who else would you like there uh, that, I'm, that I'm forgetting right now, uh, Mark McKenzie, things like that. Those type of players, you want them to learn from a player like Tim Ream. Yeah. To your point about the great season has had, you could hear in the post-game interview from the manager, Marco Silva, just how heartbreaking it was yeah. for him to lose Tim Ream. And then you saw it from the fans there as well. They gave him an ovation as he, he walked off. I think they knew it was probably a serious injury, potentially season-ending. So massive season for Tim Ream uh, at Fulham, and we wish him a speedy my, recovery. My only – one of my two mea culpas in my punditry mm. history. You, you have been wrong a time or two. I've, uh, only, it, done, I've only done two mea culpas, and mm -hmm. he's one of them. The other one is Jim Curtin. Okay. You mentioned Mark McKenzie. Well done. Because we have to run it back with a few more Americans abroad. McKenzie with a goal as Gank won 3-1 over Club Brugge in Belgium. Yeah, Mark McKenzie's a strange little figure here. Because it is the second goal in general. He just scored last week again. So mm -hmm. he seems to be getting that little bug, catching fire. It's a great time. But when he's played for the U.S. men's national team, you think of the mistakes he's had in big moments against big teams, Mexico, Tecatito Corona, in the CONCACAF Nations League final. Hopefully, he can come into his own and do better. He's a good player. We've seen Mark McKenzie in running back recently. We've also seen Tanner Tessman in this segment recently. He's back, an assist for Venezia as they beat Modena 5-0 in Serie B. 
interesting prospect. He's got good size, duality, you know, that dual eight, if you will. At times he can play as a six. A very good, versatile player. Tanner Tesman and Venezia with the big win in the Italian second flight. Emmanuel Salvi, remember him from January camp. He got a uh, goal in Denmark for Odense over the weekend. Actually, it was Friday, I think. Yeah, perennial uh, player in Denmark where he's played the majority of his career. This is a player that he's very, very tricky because you see him do well at the Denmark level, at this level, but then he gets some call-ups like he did in January camp and he was nowhere to be found. Hey, Sabis Odense with the 2-2 draw there against Horsens. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Let's check in on some Mexicans abroad. Ajax and PSV in the Dutch Cup final. Late first half. Steven Bowen driving for Ajax. This is an own goal off Jared Branthwaite. That's what you do. Put him in compromising positions. Across the face of goal. Own goal. one nothing Ajax at that point. Of course, they had Edson Alvarez, Jorge Sanchez in the starting lineup. Into the second half. Xavi Simmons to Thorgan Hazard, it's 1-1. Xavi Simmons, what a season for him. Great ball across, beats his man, it's a goal. 94th minute, Edson, a chance to win it. The header over the bar. Mm, very kind edit by the production. <laughs> Four minutes later, Eric Gutierrez in off the bench for PSV. It would stay at one, go to penalty kicks. Always nervous in the cup final. 2-2 here. Edson, the fifth penalty taker for Ajax. Herc. And what has he done? Huh. Huh. I don't Joe even, Drommel the save. I don't he's even know save what he's doing. He tried doing the no look opposite side, but went to the middle. But Fabio Silva steps up, and he does the exact opposite. He buries it. PSV wins in penalties 3-2 as they defend their Dutch Cup title. All right, Herc, after this one, Edson Alvarez, very much a talking point. Where do you think his future lies? Not at Ajax. That's a reality. He's 25 years old. He's getting to that age where he needs to make the jump and he Mm -hmm. needs to make the move. Most players in the Eredivisie, they don't stay that long. Uh, I think he's done everything he can do at Ajax. He's exceeded expectations. Uh, Not too long ago, we're talking about months ago, Chelsea actually made a bid Mm -hmm. somewhere along the lines of over $40 for him. And it was Ajax that retained him. They had just lost something like four or five big players uh, among them. 
uh, Anthony to, to Manchester United. Eric Ten Hag knows him. He was a target there. It was Chelsea who made the bid for him. I think his future lies somewhere in the Premier League. I really do think he has the physical capabilities of playing in the league like the Premier League. And I do think there are teams out there that could benefit from an actual six, a ball winner, a defensive maestro, if you will, somebody who protects that back line. And Edson, he may have missed his penalty kick. Um, but it doesn't define him. He, he's been one of the better players for Ajax uh, over the last few seasons. Uh, a player who was heavily criticized when he got to the Eredivisie and today has won over fans, has won over pundits, and is going to be looking for a big payday, wherever that may be. I think it may, we may be looking at a, a Chelsea, uh, mm. if you I know that they have Enzo Fernandez, but Kovacic and, uh, Kovacic, excuse me, and Enzo Fernandez I don't think are the duo they're looking for. Engano Kante, he's, he's getting older. He'll be on the outs uh, that lack of Jorginho that they had is still missing. A player like Edson could be a very good player there. So I'm with you that now is the time, Mark. I think both for Ajax and for Edson. This is now three and a half seasons that he's been there on top of this season. He's played almost 150 games. There's not much left to prove. For Ajax, this guy's got a contract till 2025. So if you don't sell him now, right. yep. you basically in 2024, you have the transfer value. And most clubs are just going to say... Whatever. If we really want this player, we'll wait for 12 months and we'll get him for free. And the player will want to do that, too, because he knows there's a lot more money in that contract than when you get sold. So now is the time for both parties, Herc. And I agree with you that the Premier League seems like the likely landing spot, because that's where we see almost all of the links. Where I disagree with you is the level in the Premier League, because you see him linked to not just Chelsea. You've seen him linked to Liverpool. You've seen him linked to Arsenal. Yeah. As much as I want to believe that Edson is, is at that level and could lock down a sparty, starting spot at that level, I have my doubts. I would much rather see him go to that next level down in the Premier League, something like a West Ham, if they move on from a Declan Rice, something even like a Newcastle, who could potentially be at that top level Ooh, of the Premier you, League if they keep spending, but right now are not in the elite. I just don't know you jumped, if Edson's you elite, Herc, and you got to be... You got to be elite to go to a place like Chelsea and start. Just ask Christian Pulisic. Well, Chelsea's mid-table right now, so they're not elite. And you but you got to be Newcastle. elite to start there on a, on a world scale, Hurt. You can't just be any oh, guy well, and you're going to you, consistently you've start got, at Chelsea. You've got to be elite. You've got to just start. You, you know, believe Edson starts at Chelsea? You you believe that? Honestly, I don't know what to think of Chelsea, and I think everybody well, will get it. That's, that's a different I'm, conversation. No, no, but, but this is part of the conversation. This is what I'm. Go this is this is why it's Chelsea and why it's not Liverpool, mm -hmm. why it's not Manchester United, uh, because there's realistic competition at places like those. I think Chelsea right now, if you look at that midfield, he'll get an opportunity. And, and Edson's always been, give me an opportunity. I, I will prove my worth. Now, there's a dramatic leap from the Eredivisie to mm -hmm. the Premier League, especially in a club like Chelsea, a club that plays or was playing in European competitions that had a, was under a microscope, that, that had some of the most expensive or has some of the most expensive footballers in the world. I'll give you that. But nobody's saying he should come in and immediately start. But mm. I'm also looking at the likes of an Enzo Fernandez, who's not an out-and-out -out defensive midfielder. He orchestrates from the back. He playmakes from a deep-line position. Or like a Kovacic. They're very different. And I do think he has something that suits more like Jorginho when he was there and he wasn't that much of a actual ball winner, but he's got more of that defensive bite that they may be lacking. Mm -hmm. Yep, you mentioned it. They came for him already, so maybe uh, Chelsea will come again for Edson Alvarez at Ajax. Let's uh, move on with more L3 in Europe. Hurt. Actually, let's go back to Belgium, back to that gang, uh, Club Brugge game, shall we? Because we've got an assist here from Gerardo Arteaga, the left back. Arteaga's like one of the more sophisticated backs 
uh, in CONCACAF in general, and for the Mexican national team in Enigma, I always thought he should play more than he actually did, but he would let players like Jesus Gallardo play over him, and it's, it's, it's crazy because he's super talented. Third assist of the season again, uh, gang 3-1 winners there in Belgium. From Belgium to Italy, Memocho, another big day for Salernitana, seven saves against Napoli and Chucky Lozano. The game ends 1-1, which means Napoli Herc forced to delay their Scudetto celebrations. I'm running out of excuses as to why Memo Ochoa shouldn't continue to be in the back of the Mexican national team net. I mean, he's, he looks like in his prime. You look at the teams he's played against in Serie A this season and what he's done, it doesn't look like a guy who's approaching 40. Five straight games giving up just one goal or less for Memo Ochoa, Salernitana safe from the relegation fight. Speaking of, here's the bottom of the table in Liga Mekis as we take a look at who missed out on the playoffs. Mazatlan, Necaxa, Juarez, Cholos, Pumas, and Querétaro. Uh, they were last in the overall table, so Santos in at 13th. Uh, they get kind of a lucky break. Now the overall table, the tabla de conscientes as they call it there, uh, used to decide relegation. Now, Herc, it just decides who gets the fine. And uh, not everyone out there, as you might be surprised, is excited about those fines. Here's a quote from Bravos owner Alejandra de la Vega speaking to Fox Sports in Mexico, quote, remove the fine. Our resources are not unlimited. We should be obligated to spend those resources on our infrastructure or finding better players, but they just rip those resources out of your hands. Herc, is this a get lost or is there some truth to what Alejandra de la Vega is saying? Listen, I'm sure there's some truth to what she's saying at a minute level, sure, but this is get lost. Um, there's three different fines for the bottom three from mm -hmm. honestly, like, I think it's like $2 million to $6 million and somewhere in between if you fall in that third, in the middle of that third uh, fine. Um, Giovanni Dos Santos was making that at the LA Galaxy. You know, he was making more than that. <laughs> he could have paid the fine himself. Uh, here's another reality. Um, it would be nice, right, if you had those unlimited resources that she mm -hmm. was mentioning. Uh, by the way, owners as well of the uh, locomotive, El Paso locomotive ah. um, in the USL, same ownership group. So I'm sure she would not like to pay that fine there. Uh, she's used to a closed system. But this is what it, really what it is. ProRail no longer exists in Mexico. It's on pause. So while it's on pause, they're doing this fine system. So she's complaining about a fine when in reality she's skimming the system because she should be relegated. And mm. then those are real problems. And then that's when you lose money. That's when you won't have the resources to come back up. That's when you're could be dissolved as a team if you don't have those resources. So pay your fine. Uh, be thankful that it's a fine and not an actual relegation because Juarez was bad this year. Actually, Juarez... Why does and didn't even end up paying a fine this year? Mm. You know, they, they lucked out. It was Mazatlan at the end. So this is a team, an ownership group that should do better in the resources when they start out to build a better franchise, build a better team, a better roster, so they won't be put in this position. But be thankful it's a fine right now and not an actual relegation. I've got uh, Querétaro with the biggest fine here of 80 million pesos, which is about four and a half million dollars, Herc. So um, generally, I think there's some truth here in that I hate the fine. It's like a, it's like a, it's it's a weak middle ground, right? If you're gonna punish them, send them down. And I also think it's unfair, right? Because it's not equal. Four and a half million dollars or 80 million pesos, however you want to slice it, is different. What it means to a Querétaro or a Juarez versus what it would mean to any of the bigger teams. So it just seems like a ridiculous way to decide. 
I am curious because she did say she was at least open to the discussion of promotion relegation. So she doesn't like the fine, but she's undecided on promotion relegation. So maybe maybe there's a chance, Herc. Maybe there's a chance. Oh, I'm undecided about getting relegated, uh, relegated, but I'm very sure I don't want to pay a fine is what she's saying. <laughs> like, come right, on. Right. What are the odds that she's going to want relegation? If she doesn't want the fine, uh, she don't want to get relegated either as well. Look, Bravos were not the only team, Herc, to miss out on the playoffs in Mexico, which we know is pretty tough to do. 12 of the 18 teams at the end of the day, do go through. Joining Bravos in the party of futility, Cholos. Uh, now, Cholos mm. lost 5-2 against your beloved Puebla over the weekend. And Miguel Herrera, their manager, El Piojo, was not very happy about it. Here's what he had to say. Quote, today I found a team without ambition, without desire. You can't compete this way. We have to build another team, a team that has much more will. Herc, are you cool with this? The latest evidence of Piojo running his players over with a bus. Oof, that's what it was, right? It was an yes. actual bus. Um, yeah. And then he reversed on him as well. Uh, <laughs> here's the thing. Is he wrong? Is that roster good enough to compete? No, it's not good enough. But it's, again, Miguel Herrera not having, one, the tact, and two, not being... Not being self-aware in, in his comments again, because this reminds me of when he was at Tigres and he says the players are too old. You know, you, this is what happens. This is why we lost to a Pachuca team. They ran us into the ground. You're, you're not accepting your part of the blame, which is a lot. I know he's only been there a few months, but it, it was Puebla that dropped five on you. It wasn't Club America. It wasn't Monterrey who leads the league. It was Puebla who dropped five on you. So accept some responsibility. But there's some truth into what he's saying. Like, there was some mm. truth in what he said about Tigres being a little long in the tooth last season against Pachuca. There's a little truth here. Cholos is an abysmally run team in Mexican football and CONCACAF in general. When you look at Grupo Caliente, who own Cholos, Tijuana, Cholos, and who mm -hmm. own Querétaro as well, they're two of the three worst teams in Mexican football. And they have a seat at the table on how Mexican football is ran. Their mm. owner, Hank Hank, um, excuse me. Um, Jorge Hank, yeah. Jorge Alberto Hank, yes, thank you. Uh, has a say, he's part of the ownership committee in Mexican football. So when you have this going on and you see that in the last six seasons or six years, 12 seasons, you've had 13 different coaches, well, you're not doing something right in the roster construction or the construction per se of this team. So if this was shots fired, it would be pretty obvious that the shots were fired at the players. But I'm also wondering, Herc, do you feel like this is shots fired at the ownership, and maybe not shots fired, but a message sent, like, I need help, which also sounds a little bit like what Piojo was trying to say when he was on his way out of Tigres, saying the team was too old, which again leads us back to a guy who's always pointing the finger um, at somebody else. But I wonder if he is saying, hey, Cholos ownership, I need more resources. I need more recursos, uh, to the point about the Bravos owner, uh, to really, truly build this team and compete. Ah. <sighs> No he's, known, he's known to take dirty laundry out into the public, yeah, right? He's known to, yeah, to complain ownership. Yeah, but knowing ownership. Miguel Herrera and his track history, I think this is mm. just more, this ain't me, I'm not the right. problem. Yeah. His stock is way down, but so is Cholos, man. When you, back when you were balling, not at Cholos, when you were with Santos 2012, 2013, Cholos was like the great story in Mexican soccer. They won a league, they went to a CCL semi. They Libertadores. Were Libertadores run, right? I think quarterfinals. So, I mean, they were... I want to say the class of Mexican soccer, but a great up-and-coming story. I was at that CCL semi. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Uh, and now where are they? Now they're about to get overtaken by a 
an MLS team in San Diego. That's the latest. Well, right, they're already the were overtaken by an NWSL team in San Diego. That, as well, as well. Uh, let's take a look at the Liga MX repechaje schedule. Of course, uh, kicking off this weekend. Again, this is for seeds 5 through 12 in the table. Remember, the first four automatically through to the quarterfinals. So here's your matchups. Cruz Azul, Atlas, León against Atlético San Luis, the fighting Mauricio Pedrosas. Uh, Pachuca against Santos and Tigres Puebla, the Hercules Gomez Bowl. Those games are all win either way over the weekend sa uh, on Saturday and Sunday. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day. But sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, next up, Major League Soccer, specifically Sporting Kansas City, who, stop me if you heard this before, lost again. This time 2-0 at home against Montreal on Saturday. Sporting Kansas City dead last, not just in the Western Conference, in all of Major League Soccer with three points from 10 games. They have zero wins in MLS, just three goals for and one win. Uh, that coming in the Open Cup, Perk, against Tulsa Athletic for those keeping score at home there in the NPSL, which is a semi-pro league. It's all to say things have gone way off the rails with Sporting Kansas City. Let's hear from their manager, Peter Vermees. I don't think we created enough quality chances in the game. Um, and I just don't think that we are sharp enough um, with the different players that are that are out there at the moment. And, uh, yeah, I mean, look, I, I understand. It's, it's not good enough. Responsibility's on me. So I, I get it. Herc, what is wrong with Sporting Kansas City, and can it be fixed? Uh, it's Major League Soccer, so still very early. It can be fixed. Um, I've been in the situation before with the Seattle Sounders where we were uh, mm -hmm. Conference West worst, and a very beloved figure in Seattle Sounders history, Siggy Schmidt, was let go around August, June, around there, and the team turned around. Mm -hmm. um, after that break, because it was Copa America break, after that Copa America, Brian Schmetzer led the Seattle Sanders to, to a final, right? And Do you see this Sporting Kansas City team let turning me, around? Let me, let me get to what I'm going to say, okay? So, so I understand what it's like to see a, a beloved thing, because if you look at Sporting Kansas City's history, if there's one sentimental figure, if there's mm -hmm. one figurehead who's responsible for turning a franchise around, it's Peter Vermes and what he's done in Kansas City. Now listen, I, I've had my differences with Peter Vermes in the past, but I can't sit here and deny that he's not the reason they're sporting Kansas City today and they're as successful and what he means to sporting Kansas City. But when you look at this, how bad they are. Sure, you could say, listen, uh, Gadi Kenda and Alan Polido, you know, mm -hmm. two of your DPs uh, that are responsible for putting the ball in the back of the net have been injured, coming off of very serious 
long-term injuries, just getting back into the fold, that could be an issue. Some players are a little long in the tooth, that could be an issue. Uh, but there doesn't seem to be any heart, any desire, there doesn't seem to be any, any uh, visual evidence of a spark or reason it can change. And here's another thing. Peter Vermes was just rewarded with a five-year hmm. contract. I mean, he, he literally told U.S. Soccer, I'm not getting out of bed to interview about a sporting director job because I'm good here. I just signed a five-year deal. I don't want any of that. He's the coach and sporting director. Who's going to fire him? Who's going to say, hey, you need to step back as the coach. He's still the sporting director. How do you handle that contract? I'm sure it's above our pay grade, et cetera, et cetera. As abysmal as things are, Mm-hmm. Time is on his hands, and it's Major League Soccer. Tab Ramos was on this very platform not too long ago, a few shows mm-hmm. ago, and said, if Pro-Rel was involved in my time when I was at Houston, ownership would have to invest much more mm-hmm. money to keep us afloat that season. He's not going to get relegated. Sporting right. Kansas City ain't going anywhere. He calls the shots. He runs the show. He'll have the time to write this ship. And if he doesn't at the end of the season, then I'm sure there'll be a transition from coach to a sporting director or a GM role. But right now, he's not going anywhere. Is there a danger, Herc, in that? In, in how much in, in how much sporting Kansas City seems to be invested in, in Peter Vermees, not just as their as their head coach, but as their sporting director. He's been there 15 years. I think you have to ask at some point, like. Does this thing get stale? Say what I you know said. there's no relegation, Herc. I know that there's no necessarily urgency, maybe you can say, for sporting Kansas City. But at some point, we talk about uh, Messi Dependencia. Is there a Vermis Dependencia here that's leading sporting Kansas City down a dangerous road? Say what you told me when we had a conversation, you and I, earlier today. You don't know if sporting Kansas City could turn on the lights without per- Peter Vermis, right? That's true. That's true. In terms of institutional intelligence, yeah. That's a very valid point but one a risk you take when you give a person that much power that much authority he's got the keys mm-hmm. he's got the keys he also designed the car there's a reality <laughs> to this seb yeah so yeah. if this goes down they're gonna ride it to the wheels fall off yeah just to be clear it's not it's not just a blip this season either right this goes back a few years now they missed the playoffs last yeah. year they missed the playoffs two of the last four years um this has been kind of a a building issue for Sporting Kansas City, even in the years where they kind of pop back up, 2020 and 2021, the regular season success, it it wasn't rewarded with playoff success. And so I I think when you look at Sporting Kansas City, it's just hard to find like signs of positive progress over the last few years. There's some success in the regular season, Herc, but but I think that's a very low bar for Sporting Kansas City. I'll tell you where there is success. Uh, and when they pump that success, mm-hmm. if you look at the consecutive sellouts of that stadium, mm-hmm. there's your success that the ownership really, really uh, touts. Yep. You know what else? The Open Cup. Sporting Kansas City, always oh. a threat in the U.S. Oh. Open PSL Cup. teams will do that to you. Steady, steady. Let's turn to another MLS game from the weekend. This one involving another Herc of your former teams. This time the Seattle Sounders, who were taking on RSL. Game finished 0-0 on Saturday night. Uh, But in the game, Seattle's Kellen Rowe was down injured, and according to Sounders players, RSL fans were taunting Rowe. Here's Stephen Fry post-game. Let's listen to what happened. I'm a sucker for a good environment and good atmosphere. I think it was really good today, but um, I was very upset to see, you know, one of our players potentially go down with a season-ending injury. And, And just the taunting and the stuff that I heard, very classless. Um, I love a good atmosphere. I love 
you know, um, heckling and all that. I get it as a goalkeeper all the time, but there's a, there's a line that was crossed and I'm not, I'm upset about that. Stay classy out there. If you support and, and because there's more people, we're humans, there's livelihood at stake. Uh, there's careers at stake. There's a lot of things going on. And I was, I was upset about that. All right, Herc, Stephen Fry says a line was crossed. What do you think? Um, listen, he's right. Um, especially at the, and I'm sure people don't want to hear about the, the pay scale for professional athletes or whatnot, but it's not like some of these guys who play in Real Madrid, who put their you know, bodies on the line and whatnot, and that could be the end of their season or their career, and there's a lot left over for them to live up, right? Major League Soccer players aren't of that vein. Um, this was, uh, thankfully, an injury that won't be season-ending or career-threatening. Kellen Rowe today on his social media said no structural ligament damage, so he's good there. But the game was getting testy. Mm-hmm. Um, the RSL fans in a deadlock game thought that Kellen Rowe was trying to waste time, make time, so there was jeering involved. There was a red card shortly after this with Pablo Ruiz, uh, Pablo Ruiz, excuse me, of um, Sal Lake. So tempers were flying. I understand mm-hmm. the jeering. Uh, I understand maybe the confusion. I'm sure the Salt or the Salt Lake fans don't want to see a player seriously get injured. In my time playing in Major League Soccer, most fans are docile. They're not of that vein. They're not of that intent. But I understand the frustration um, by Stephen Fry. He's a very serious guy. Stephen Fry is not a guy who just talks to talk. So if he's saying it, there's some truth to it. I'm sure it's a misunderstanding by the RSL fans, but surely no player, whether you play for the Sounders or Salt Lake, wants to see a colleague go down on the ground and it's being cheered or jeered because they're getting hurt. Yeah. Glad to see that the, uh, the news at the end of the day for Kellen Rowe, not that bad as Seattle gets a draw. And actually right now, I know this will make you happy, first place in the Western Shocker. Conference. All right, let's go from MLS to CONCACAF Champions League, shall we, Herc? Of course, the second leg of the semifinals oh boy. coming up this week. On Tuesday, it's the second leg between LAFC and Philadelphia. This game, of course, in Los Angeles after a 1-1 draw outside Philadelphia in the first leg. That leads us to another rendition of Book It here on Football Americas, where we make Picks. Now, I guess the question here, as I see in the rundown. It? Do you want me to ask it? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, all right, Seb. You bet. Not only did you bet in your parlays, in mm-hmm. our CONCACAF book, mm-hmm. but you also bet, moi, $100 mm-hmm. that Philadelphia was going to advance. Knowing what you know now, yes. a Philly drawing 1-1 at home, now having to travel to Los Angeles mm-hmm. without one of their best players, Martinez, in the center mm-hmm. midfield, do you double down on your bet or do you take it back? Before I give you an answer, <laughs> go ahead. let me make it clear. I'm not as person. confident as I was heading into the first leg because I really thought that Philadelphia would get the win at home. I was kind of banking on that. Right. And yeah. I think they played well sense. enough to have done that. Absolutely. Of so course. When they end the game 1-1, at that point, I'm not feeling great. Okay. Uh, and to your point about Jose Martinez, that's big. I yes. mean, that's a, that's a huge part of the field for Philadelphia, your defensive midfield. And especially when you go up against LAFC. That said, there is reason for hope if you're Philadelphia. Okay. The last three trips away to LAFC, they've not lost. They've gotten a result. Which, if they get a result here, unless it's a 0-0, they're at least getting extra time. Right? And maybe potentially penalty kicks. And in those three trips to Los Angeles, in two of them, Herc, 
They scored three goals. So yes. there's hope here for Philadelphia. Plus, I'm a stubborn SOB. Of course I'm doubling down. <laughs> he doubled down. Philadelphia Union to the CONCACAF Champions League final to get the job done in Los Angeles as they couldn't do in MLS Cup. There you have it. Herb. Yeah, you know, you put it very well. The, the first game at home, they, were, they had to bank on having a very good result there. They did not. They let one go. They let one escape. Uh, it, it could have been a 3-1, 4-1 scoreline that's how wasteful philly was and then andre blake i shouldn't even say 4-1 because lafc had another chance but wanga didn't catch it too cleanly and then opposite hand it was andre blake so it could have been a 4-2 but very end-to-end stuff they should have capitalized they did not it does seem like an uphill battle with one of your best players missing for a team like philadelphia against lafc what's going to be surely a packed bank all right we're betting on the fighting jim curtains Come Tuesday night. What about Wednesday night and the second leg at Estadio León between Tigres and León? Of course, Tigres 2-1 winners in the first leg as we take a look at uh, what the SPI is saying about who's going to advance. Herc, how do you think this shakes out? Uh, I don't think it's that high of a percentage, um, but I do think it ends up being Tigres to advance. Listen, Tigres and Leon played each other over the weekend. They pretty much threw the game away. Uh, right. They both played with substitute players. Uh, Tigres even debuted seven players. Seven players. They've never debuted seven players in a season. They debuted seven players in a game. That's how much they threw this game out the window. They didn't care what place they came in. In the regular standings, they were concentrating on mm-hmm. this week, CONCACAF Champions League versus Leon. Leon ended up winning this game. They ended mm-hmm. up dancing, maybe taunting or poking the bear a little too much. Uh, this is your classic uh, game where I think goals will be scored. So I'm taking a both teams to score and over at two and a half, and it pays plus 110. Leon has to score a goal, okay, to tie the game. And if they tie the game, and there's by any chance Tigres, with all the weapons that they have and how wasteful Jinyang was, that they score a goal. Now they're chasing the game because mm-hmm. of the away goal. So there's going to be goals here. Whichever way or what the outcome is, I don't know, but there will be goals. I do feel Tigres advances. All I know is there will be goals. Hark, promising goals Wednesday night. I love it. That's both teams to score over two and a half goals as Leon yeah. and Tigres face off in the second leg of the CONCACAF you like that Champions one? League semifinals. I like it because it's a little bit more conservative than your past few, which have been big home run swings. I feel well, like this one has a legit I'm trying shot. to make people money. I know, I know. Speaking of making people money, they should watch La Liga on ESPN Plus because that'll, uh, that'll help make us money. We got uh, Barcelona and Osasuna facing off tomorrow, 1.30 p.m. Eastern Time, 10.30 a.m. Pacific. That on ESPN Plus as well as ESPN Deportes. Parting shot now, Hercules Gomez. Kalia and J.J. Watt have become minority owners of Burnley, the uh, English side that, of course, have already clinched promotion to the Premier League after locking up the top spot in the championship this season. Vincent Company, the manager. So, uh, Herc, you're going to become a Burnley fan now? Uh, Burnley, that's, that's a massive, massive uh, get right there, celebrity ownership. But I, I do have a question, Seb. Mm-hmm. Why is it easier to get ownership abroad than it is here domestically? Like, why are you seeing so much of this more abroad than domestically? Mm-hmm. This doesn't just go for Major League Soccer. Major League Soccer is very difficult to get into, but USL as well. Like, Why don't you see these figures, these stars, trying to invest domestically? Right. Like J.J. Watt, he went to Wisconsin, right? Can we get him to invest in forward Madison? Like, let's go, J.J., come on. Something close to home. 
That's what I'm saying. A conversation for another day. Uh, I know you ha you know some people that know JJ Watt. I do, so maybe but I'm a I'm a Burnley fan just because they've been I've been told they're the city of the championship or were the city of the championship. <laughs> okay, all right, Vincent Company's agent. Uh, sounds good there. All right, that'll do it for this edition of Football Americas. Programming note: We will not be back on Thursday. We will be back on Wednesday, mixing things up this week. So Wednesday, 8:30 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on ESPN. Oh yeah. Nobody yeah. told me. <laughs> well, uh, put it in your calendar because uh, we're doing the show on Wednesday. I hope you can remember. He's Hercules Gomez. I'm Sebi Salazar. Thanks for watching. We will see you in less than 48 hours.